Um, okay, I am your announcement girl. I'm your teacher girl. I'm the only one you got today. But I'm going to let this little crowd come in. Y'all find a seat, and then we'll get started. So let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I am so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to study your word. And Father, for the opportunity to try to tell it back to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you will shape our understanding so that we are keeping in step with the Spirit, Father, and that our actions, our hearts, our minds will be more like Jesus Christ, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us to um, help me to speak clearly and speak truthfully, Father. And I pray, dear Lord, if I say anything that is an error, I pray that they will not remember it and it will not be the thing that holds on to them, Lord. Help us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray all of these things. Amen. Okay, so I have a question for you. So raise your hand if you'd like to be considered humble. We got to, surely we have a 100% in here, right? Um, the Lord has called us to be humble. He wants us to be humble. We know from Psalm 18 that he saves the humble. And humility is one of the most beautiful characteristics, right? I mean, it's lovely, but it's, all, it's also a characteristic that you kind of look at and you reach, if you reach for it, it slips through your fingers, kind of like a slippery noodle. It's not something you can really grasp. Well, um, so often we want to be seen as humble, but what I'm offering to you is that we usually end up with humiliation. And I'm calling something an experience that we might have is humiliating volunteerism. Uh, imagine yourself like me. Um, can you imagine yourself in class as an elementary school student? And the teacher starts the question with, who in the classroom knows? And you go, oh, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it, right? And then you hear the answer coming out of your mouth and you're like, oh, I don't got it. And you know, immediately it's wrong. Um, and we see it all over, right? I mean, you, I don't know if you're, but if you're like me with any age at all, you look back on your past and you're like, Ooh, so many times I thought I, I got it. I got it. I, oh, I don't got it. And I don't know why I thought I had gotten it at that time. We sit on the ball field too, right? We can imagine a baseball game and a center fielder is running out for a, for a pop fly, a fly ball. And they are like, I got it, I got it, I got it. They call off the right fielder that's running towards them. And they got it, and the glimmer of the sun hits their eye, and they, they don't got it. It <laughs> fell right next to them. Yes, we end up with humiliation far more often than we end up with humility, unfortunately. I don't know if you're like me, but I have a long history of thinking highly of myself, offering myself as an expert in something, <laughs> only to go, yikes. Well, God does have a pathway towards humility. He does. And you're going to see, and you see from these chapters, that that pathway towards humility leads right through fear. And the reason I bring up humiliating volunteerism is because of the story of Uzzah. And the first time I remember reading about studying Uzzah was about 25 years ago. I was actually at Grace Van. I was a volunteer leader with a senior high. And we were at Myrtle Beach on a beach trip. And Les Newsom was our teacher. And I was actually fairly new to the Reformed faith and understanding. So this story of Uzzah really stood out to me as he was teaching about it. I remember another story about Pharaoh hardening his heart and how God had hardened his heart. I don't even remember what Les's 
goal was for the week, but I do remember this story, and it really stood out to me. And ever since then, I've been a little bit fascinated with the story of Uzzah. And of course, in today, being prepared for today, I've read it many, many times, and I've read it over the years as well. But there was something new that stood out to me a few days ago, and I want to point it out to you, and it really does change my whole perspective on Uzzah just a little bit. Now, you might get to the end of this and call me a cynic, and that is absolutely fine. That's your prerogative for you to have that opinion of me. That is fine. But let's see if it changes your opinion at all. So if you read 2 Samuel 6, 3, it says, And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart. It it was only until a few days ago that I realized that Uzzah was the son of Abinadab. Look, you had a face. It changes things. Well, who was Abinadab? All right. Well, if you look, if you remember back to 1 Samuel, the Philistines had captured the ark. Woo! And man, were they ready to get rid of it. Caused them a whole lot of trouble. If you remember, people were breaking out in tumors all over their body. And 70 men died from just looking at it. So they had to come up with a new plan, right? They got some cows. They separated them from their babies. They built a new cart. They put it on the cart. And they were like, go forth. And it walked straight to the Israelites. The Israelites were thrilled to give the ark back. They cut up the new cart. They sacrificed the cows. They praised the Lord that the ark had returned to Israel. And then they moved it to Abinadab's house on the hill. And there it stayed. He was a Levite. And it stayed, uh, this morning someone said, 100 years. The estimate I heard this past week was 70 years. Guess what? Both of those are a very, very long time. Okay. So, if Uzzah was the son of Abinadab, he knew things. He knew things. And this changes my perspective of the story of Uzzah. Everybody seems to say, and it was common, I heard it this morning, that he was very well-intentioned. Was he? Maybe. He might have been. We really don't know a lot about Uzzah. Everything that you know about Uzzah from Scripture, you actually read this week in 2 Samuel and in Chronicles. That's it. He's not mentioned anywhere else, so we don't know a lot. We do seem to think that he was well-intentioned. Scripture doesn't necessarily give us any reason to think that he wasn't, but of all people, he should have known. You can't touch it. He'd never touched it before. And I don't know how old Uzzah was. Let's say on the gracious side, he was 20. Well, that means he grew up with the ark in his house. On on another end, let's say he was old. He was 85, and he actually didn't visit his father's tent very often, which I doubt because he was there to volunteer to help take the ark back or to Jerusalem. So he had some knowledge of the ark. If you, I don't know about you, but at my house, you can touch every piece of furniture in it. No fear of dying. You can touch anything in it. It's free for all. Yep. I mean, you really can. At his house or his father's house at the very least, you couldn't touch it. There's no question about it. He would have already died. Okay. So, in my opinion, I kind of feel like maybe he was like, oh, 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 I got this, I got this. And then, oh, he didn't got this. 
Another thing that's common, I've always thought that too, and I'm sure, he, I'm sure it was, is that it's a natural reaction, right? Something's falling and you reach out and you catch it. Have you ever dropped a knife? I have a very distinct, clear memory of it, and last night I didn't explain why. But when I was a child, I had to have been probably eight or younger. I remember being in my kitchen. It's the early 80s, and uh, my kitchen's blue and green. We have a linoleum floor, and I have a knife in my hand. It slips from my hand, and what do I do? And I remember that because my mom and sister giggled and giggled and giggled. They thought I was hilarious. It was probably a butter knife that couldn't have really hurt me, but it scared me. I knew as a child, you don't reach for a knife or you might get cut. Have you ever held something that's on fire and it falls? You don't reach for the torch. You might get burned. Hey, guess what? You reach for the ark, you're going to die. I'm not saying he knew that. I'm saying it's a possibility. To me, it seems like a strong possibility. But no matter what, it should have been categorized in the knife and flaming torch category over there. Should have been like that to Uzzah. One sermon strongly suggested that Uzzah went to heaven that day. He met the Lord, and I hope that he did. I hope that he did. I really do. I'm not saying that he didn't. I promise I'm not, but I'm not certain. I don't see anything in Scripture that leads me to believe that he met the Lord and went and has spent the rest of his eternity in heaven. I don't know, but I do know for sure that his soul was required of him that day. It was that day. And I bet he didn't wake up thinking that. I bet he woke up thinking, look at this great thing I get to do today. I'm going to get to take the ark into the city. It's going to be so exciting. And guess what? Ten minutes later, he's dead. It's not what he expected. Whether it was a natural reaction, whether he was a faithful believer, or at most well-intentioned, maybe he was all of those things, Who can say? But some say the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. As you know, your staff is reading the book Holiness by J.C. Ryle, and I again want to recommend that book to you. It is excellent. And last week, we read the chapter on Lot's wife. We actually don't know a lot about Lot's wife, do we? But he can fill a whole chapter about it, and it's very good. So he calls her a theology student. She was very closely related to Abraham, the father of the Israelites. Her husband was considered to be a righteous man. In the New Testament, we're told to remember Lot's wife. So she had exposure. Maybe she had even been there when the visitors came to tell Sarah and Abraham they were going to have a son and made all the promises to them. If she hadn't been there, she had at least heard about it. She was very, very close to a lot of sacred, holy things of the Lord a theology student. And yet, what do we know about her the most? Angels grab her, pull her out of a city that's about to be destroyed, and she looks back. Her soul was required of her that day. J.C. Ryle says, Nothing so hardens the heart of man as a barren familiarity with sacred things. Those aren't the only two examples that I think uh, we see in Scripture. If you go back to the very beginning, can you imagine someone more exposed to sacred things than Adam and Eve? Walking with God, 
talking with God. They should have known what was sacred, and yet they heard the whisper of the serpent. If we jump over to the New Testament, I can't imagine a people more closely described as, be, as having a barren familiarity with sacred things than the Pharisees. I mean, their entire reason for being, their job, their whole existence was to know the things of the Lord, to understand them, and to share them with others. But instead, what did they do? They came up with new rules, right? New rules. They were bored with the other ones, I guess, and wanted to keep people out of their little club. Well, how many of those Pharisees are spending eternity in hell? right now. What about the culture that we live in? We have a lot of religious influencers, don't we? The God that I know, the Jesus that I serve, still making up rules. Uh, Jimmy shared an anecdote with us, and I checked with him on Sunday, and he gave me permission to share it with you. That R.C. Sproul was at Independent Presbyterian Church one time in Memphis. And he was preaching on a Sunday morning. And he says to the congregation, 70% of the people hearing me today do not know the Lord and will go to hell. Well, it was so offensive. John Sartell talked to him between services. And he said, you can't say that. You can't say that. But I wonder why he said it. Do you think he was right? Now, you might have had a flair for the dramatic, surely. I mean, he's friends with Jimmy Young, or he was. Um, But 70%? Surely that's too much. 50%? 30%? Is it possible that a large percentage of the people that we rub elbows with on a Sunday morning, or at Bible study, or in grace group, have a barren familiarity with sacred things? Is it possible? I don't know. Um... A few months ago, sometime last summer, I was with my mom, and she is 81 now. She was 80 at the time. She was lamenting about her loss of muscle mass. Well, guess what? That kind of scared me. Um, And I thought, whew. And I want to be really honest with you. I've had a really unfaithful relationship with physical fitness over my life. Um, I have, you know, I have a good stretch of about six months, and then I wake up, and it's five years later, and I actually haven't done a thing. And then I'll be like... Three good months, and then it's two years later, and I haven't done a thing. Well, her words to me that day really scared me. And I thought, I'm running out of time to build this muscle, and I better get to it. So now I go to the gym, and I have a good six-month stretch, so pray for me that I make it further than that. If only I had also listened to warnings about skincare, right? Yeah. But this story of the death of, of, the death of Uzzah served as a warning for David, much more grave. And he's a warning for us too. But in David, we see a beautiful transformation through these chapters, right? His first reaction, David goes, he gets angry. Now, I'm just going to put in my opinion there, based on my own experience of my own sinful self. That's not fair, right? It's not fair. God, I have my eyes on you. I was just trying to get to our capital city. We were trying to do something good. We wanted to serve you. I brought all these people out here. It's not fair. I mean, he worked for the church. (laughs) Then we go to fear. 
And it might have been really quick. It really might have been. It might have been a really quick movement towards fear because fundamentally he had to realize that he was in large part responsible for this death. If anybody should have known better, David was one of them. David, Abinadab, Uzzah, Ahio, they should have known better on how to get that ark to Jerusalem. And if it was his idea, and if this thing was so sacred that we needed it in our capital city and we wanted 30,000 people to come watch it, there are probably some rules about it. I don't know. So he's got, he has some responsibility here. But also, it could have been him. He could have been the one behind the ark. He could have been the one that stuck his dirty hand to save a sacred box from hitting the sacred ground. Just an opinion. I feel like those are natural responses and understandings. <clears throat> it's interesting, though. Shortly after that, he figures out that there are rules. He gets the ark to the city of David. And then what happens after that? He has another well-intentioned idea. And he says, I want to build you a house, God. And God says, not yet. But not just not yet, but I am going to renew my covenant with you. And he lays this entire beautiful promise on David's shoulders. Your descendant will be the one that comes and saves. And your descendant will sit on the throne forever. How beautiful and amazing that is. But I wonder if you've considered this. If God had not kept his word about the ark, no looking, no touching, or you die, we couldn't trust him in keeping his promises either. It's a good contrast. That no looking, no touching, or you die, and Uzzah died to fulfill God's word, we must understand that God is a God of wrath. And that wrath is completely righteous, completely good, completely perfect, and completely holy at all times. And I'm telling you, we better believe him when he tells us who he is. If we're uncomfortable with a story of Uzzah or 70 men dying because they looked at or peered at or gawked at the Ark of the Covenant, then our, the problem is with us. It's not him. The problem lies in ourselves. We talk all the time of being saved. We've been plucked out, set aside, favored. We're one of God's people. But do you realize that being saved means you have to be saved from something? Do you spend much time thinking about that? What have you been saved from? The righteous, holy, perfect wrath of God. You see, Uzzah forgot that blood was required before the ark. And it was his blood that was required that day. The same is true about us. Blood is required for us. Will it be ours? The only other option is Jesus. And fortunately for us, blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins has already been shed on our behalf. Now, do you realize that? If so, praise be to God. 
Praise be to God. The transformation of David was not complete at fear. He got angry. He moved into fear. But there was still something else. At the end, after God has renewed his covenant with David, he has heard all of these beautiful words and promises that will come through his line. Where does he land? Humility. That thing that we grasp at and we just can't get. But we can say with David, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Ladies, I take no pleasure in reminding of you this today. But do you realize that your soul could be required of you today? We may not have as much time as we think. Have you heeded the warnings? Have you heard? Have you been knocked to your knees in humility, humble dependence on the Savior? Do you fear the Lord and trust in the blood of the Lamb? Or are you arrogantly trifling with sacred things? Do you hold his book in your hand, but it makes no difference in your heart? Where do you fall? Let Uzzah be a warning to you. You will face God's righteous judgment one day. The Lord does have a path to humility, a path to humble dependence on our sacred God, and it leads straight through the fear of him. I'm going to end with 2 Chronicles 7:14, one you know well. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, it's difficult for us to think about the judgment of God. But Father, I pray that we won't skip over it. I pray, Father, that it will be a warning to us, an understanding, Father, that everything about us is meant to be in service to the God of the universe. Lord, help us not to be triflers with sacred things. I pray, Father, that we will be ones that pursue you in fear and humility and service to the crown. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.